Welcome, welcome, welcome to Where They At. My name is Nabate Owls, and this is the fifth edition of um, this beautiful podcast. And it's always an honor to talk to the outstanding guests to, to share their reflections on their, their wonderful careers and their lives outside of their careers, as well as um, provide so much insight. Today is no different. And I'd like to introduce this gentleman who actually, it's funny, came out of Jacksonville State, which is a Division II school. And he was the second, he was the second rounder out of Jacksonville State in 1990 for the San Francisco 49ers became an all-pro cornerback with the 49ers, was part of their Super Bowl 29 championship team in 1994, and it's considered one of the greatest teams of all time. And also, the secondary he was part of with Deion Sanders, Merton Hanks, and Tim McDonald, one of the greatest secondaries, if not the greatest in the history of the league. He went on to the Carolina Panthers, and then he had uh, had stints with the Denver Broncos and Detroit Lions, and then carved out an outstanding broadcasting career, being on NFL Network and CBS, Fox Sports, et cetera, et cetera. It is my honor and pleasure to introduce the one and only Eric Davis. How are you, sir? I am well, man. You need to follow me around. And tell people all of that. You know, you get old. I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm Serena's husband, Erica's dad. That's how people see me. Uh, and I, I didn't even. You're saying things I forgot, man. All those hits in the head playing football. So I'm glad to be here, man. Oh man, but you know what? But it seemed, it seemed like you're coherent. It seemed like you're coherent. You know. <laughs> well, you, you know what? That's a relative term. It depends on who you ask. <laughs> That's true, and and happy birthday to you as well. You share the same birthday as my godmother, January 26th, you know? Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank yes. you. Yes. And you know what? Like I said, many, many moons have passed, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy to keep having them. Well, no doubt, no doubt, sir. And I'm going to get right to your beginnings um, in Anniston, Alabama. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a small town in Alabama, and a, a lot, of, lot of history there, especially you were born in yeah. 1968, at the end, pretty much when the civil rights movement was ending, talk about the history that your family went through through the movement and the protests and all the strife going on, like and how that affected you as a young man. Uh, well, you you touched on it. Um, you know, people do You know, when they hear Anniston, Alabama, you know, no one uh, has really heard it. They have this blank expression, and, and I tell them like, all of you guys have visited my hometown, and I I will explain. Uh, the Freedom Riders. Mm-hmm. It's like the Freedom Riders and, and the yes. buses. And I'm like, you guys remember those doing, you know, doing the sit downs and the civil rights movement? Remember the, the pictures of those burning buses? And everyone's like, oh, yes, everyone has vivid memories of those burning buses, yeah. those black and whites of those burning buses. And I was like, well, that happened in my hometown. Like, that's where I'm from. I mean, that, that, happened, that happened five minutes from the house that I grew up in. And uh, so I tell everyone that's that's the atmosphere that that I grew up in. I was born in '68, and in the, in the '60s, I, my, my parents born and raised there. They're still in Anniston, Alabama. They'll never leave. They think the the town is shut down if they leave. Uh, but all of my <laughs> I'm siblings, sure they're right. <laughs> no, seriously, no, seriously, but all all of my siblings, we moved on, and and um, the greatest one of the greatest gifts that my parents ever gave me was that they. I don't know how they had the strength, the wisdom, the foresight to teach us, myself and my siblings, that 
none of that ignorance had any bearing on anything that we could accomplish, mm. wanted to accomplish, uh, could create opportunities to accomplish. Like that, that had nothing to do with us. That was that was their problem, their ignorance. Mm -hmm. uh, it does not define you in any way. And that right there, I think, is this incredible strength thing that, as I said, they grew up in that world. My family was there for generations in that world, um, dealing with that negativity, with, with that racism, with that bigotry. Mm -hmm. My father would tell me stories later in life about how he, he was a mailman. Um, and, and, um, and that started with, he, he went to college to be a chemist, wanted to be a chemist and things started, you know, it, it was a different world back then, but he he's a mailman and, and, um, he couldn't go and eat with his coworkers. He would have to go around to the alley and get his food out by the dumpsters and stuff. And they would give him his food through the window out by the dumpsters. Wow. Uh, and these are things when I was growing up, I didn't even know about these things because he, he would never expressed this to us he would work and always you know let us know hard he, he, my father would always tell me hard means hard doesn't mean impossible Dang. doesn't have to be easy for you to do it and it was like hard like okay it's hard all right so what are we going to do about that and mm -hmm. that's that was his mindset that was my mother's mindset uh and they just they just continue to push us uh, you weren't going to get in trouble mm -hmm. you you weren't going to uh, because opportunities is that they, you know, let's know opportunities are going to be limited. So you have to make certain that you're doing everything. So there are some things that you can't control and you control what you can control. So like you weren't going to be the bad kid at school. You were going to be where you were supposed to be on time. You were going to get good grades. It, was, it wasn't like an option. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, myself, myself, we all got A's. You had no choice. It was, it was expected. It was the norm. Mm -hmm. You were supposed to do well in school. You you know, but we had to remember the World Book Encyclopedia. Yes, back in the day, before yep. you know these 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 millennials and uh, Gen Z and all Wikipedia, they, don't, they don't remember having know? to look stuff up. <laughs> right. My dad, I'd ask my I'd ask my dad a question. He'd say, "Look it up," and then there you go. You're reading the encyclopedia. Reason being, he was going to come back later, and he was going that question you asked him. He was going to say, "Okay, now, what's the answer? Explain it to me." And where'd you find the answer? And what does that relate to? And what else could that help you with? That's what my father would do with us. So uh, that environment, um, of that negative environment, uh, um, was something that was a catalyst for them to teach us that we could be more and even see more of the world wherever we had family mm -hmm. um, across the United States. They wanted us to go spend time there. If you want to go to school there, you go to school there, wherever. But, you know, if you had family in Arizona, in California, in um, Chicago, um, you know, Florida, wherever family was, you go. Jersey, you go hang out with your family. You see that there is more to this world than Anniston, Alabama. Mm -hmm. So it, it sort of um, gave me a bigger scope. My parents gave me a bigger scope on the world back before it got so small with the Internet. Yes, yes. Right. Small. And that's the problem. Like and, and, and you have so much information on the Internet and and the young generation, they don't know how to research and the information's there. But but you and I growing up, you know, we, we had the encyclopedias where we would get more information than than the younger generation is getting now, which is very surreal. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you you had to get it the hard way. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. You were going to. 
you're gonna you're gonna take some time and get some paper cuts. Yeah, you're gonna go through it, and and and, and you know, in some in some aspects of it, the way information is at your fingertips, I, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And and as I said, the world has gotten smaller, so I think you can erase in some manners. You can erase some ignorance, but also some things. Some of that can be perpetuated because you don't take the time. You don't um, take the time and necessarily go through and see what is there. Um, I just recently had a conversation with the gentleman when we were down in Mobile. Mm. And, at the Senior uh, Bowl. Were you at this, the Senior Bowl? Uh, yes, okay. I was at the Senior Bowl. Okay, uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I, was, I, I was at the Senior Bowl. And if, and if, you're, the, if you're in Mobile, there, there's this establishment called Kazula. Okay. And, and, and Kazula is – it's – it's a it's a restaurant jazz club it, oh. you know it's black owned um it's a cigar bar all of these type things but it's in a certain segment of um of um mobile that was that was once african town and kazula it's named after the last slave that was that's the name of the last slave uh, that was in that that's his that's his original name though that was that's right. that was in Alabama um, wow. his they, his name they turned his name into Cujo they named him Cujo Lewis but this it was interesting talking to this person like he is he is one of the few uh, Black Americans that can truly trace their family heritage because. There in African town, uh-huh. there was a manifest. There was a manifest of all of those slaves, of actually what a, the actual part and township and everything that they came from in Africa. Mm-hmm. So when they set up shop there, they were able. He, he they kept all of that intact, and he he knows his family heritage all the way back to the exact spot they came from in Africa. Uh, wow. But that part, so he's buying. So so he's restoring that area in in mobile but but it's just one of those things just the history of all of that and just knowing it that's something that you don't you don't get on the internet um it's we you know we were sitting down and looking at old manifest and looking at um wow looking at looking i mean like literally literally looking at the census that was taken and they would have down the names of the people that were there in african town and and also where they were um that whether they they'd have an old by their name by their name if they were owned by someone and all these things it's, it's surreal just looking at it but uh, th- those those are some of the things that you miss out on when you don't actually you know have that tangible paper to touch and feel and see and because sure. you can you can kind of sense the history when you're when you're in that. For sure. Wow. We're talking. I don't know how we I don't know how we got on that. But (laughs) no, no, no. That's and that's that's what the show is all about. Being able to go, you know, whatever interests my subjects, my subject. And it's also enlightening and educating. And I can relate to it for sure. You know, definitely. And and knowing the the purpose of us knowing our history. And uh, and I'm talking with former all pro and, and great broadcaster, Mr. Eric Davis, Super Bowl champion as well. Won Super Bowl 29 with the 1994 San Francisco 49ers. And uh, E.D., now you, you from Anniston, you ended up going to Jacksonville State. What made you go to Jacksonville State for college football? And, and it was Division II school. Uh, where, where mm-hmm. you, did people, like, look over you? Like, from the standpoint, did people look past you um, from the standpoint of not believing that you can be uh, in a Division I A or a Division I AA school? 
Uh, well, yes and no. Um, I, I would, you know, people peak out at different times. I was a tiny guy when I graduated high school. Uh. I did, I did fairly well, but I, I mean, I was when I graduated high school, I was five five, one hundred and forty five pounds when I graduated. Oh, that explains that explains it. <laughs> I did. I I literally I I vividly remember hitting five feet tall because my mother is five feet. And I vividly oh, remember. So is my mom. The, so is my the mom. Summer. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know the struggle. So the summer <laughs> going into my sophomore year is when I finally broke the five barrier mark. I was going into my sophomore year in high school, but I wow. finally got taller than my mother. So that's wow. why I can vividly remember that. Um, but now, with that being said, uh, you know, SEC schools wanted me to I played. I, I always played offense uh, growing up. Okay. You know, my, my dad. And, and I didn't even have a choice because my. My father was a really good football player. Uh, my uncle uh, was a really good football player, and one was the, one was a quarterback, one was a running back. My mm-hmm. father went to; um, they both went to uh, Savannah State um, oh, okay. on football scholarships. Yeah, so yeah. you know, so they were so everyone there in town. You know, I was I was an Ad Davis's kid, so you play offense. Mm-hmm. So all of the um, all of the scouts um you know recruiters it, it was you you're you know you're tiny and we're going to redshirt you and uh, you're going to play offense you're going to play wide receiver mm-hmm. i wanted to play defense i always wanted to play defense mike haynes was my dude man Woo! i wanted I, I, yes I, I wanted i wanted I, I wanted to be a db i wanted to play yes indeed. And, and made the patriots no relevant in even... the 70s made them relevant yes you know? he did. and then yes, of course the did. raiders the rest of history of him and lester hayes yeah <laughs> see every, everybody remembers everyone remembers him with the raiders they forget about the patriots mm-hmm. and he was he was that dude man he was that dude and he yeah. he he's the reason i wanted to be a corner and that's one of the that's one of the thrills of, of life as far as meeting a sports series. Like I, I get to say I'm friends with Mike Haynes now. That was one of the cool things about wow. being a ball player. He and I are friends now. But Man, I got to get him on where they at. I got to get him on where they at for sure. Yeah, you know, just just knowing that dude. I mean, he 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 is the reason. I get. I I was I was so glad to be able to tell him that. Yes. Uh, that like you are the reason why when I made the Pro Bowl, he was there out there on the field. And I was like, you are the reason I'm here, standing here today, wow. getting my name announced because I wow. wanted to do this. I wanted to play the way you played. Yes, indeed. But but now, with, so with all of that, that's what I wanted to do. And everyone in the SEC that would bring me in, that's the first thing they would say. You're, 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 you are a tiny little thing, and we are going to redshirt you, and we are going to – put you on offense jacksonville state um was the head coach there was in his second year was bill burgess he was in his second year with the program Uh now he was he previously he was the head coach at my rival high school oxford in anniston he was the head coach of our biggest rival so i I had known him for a while, played against him. I knew, you know, his players and everything. So when I got up there, so he had seen me grow up and play. Yeah, yeah. Against him for years. So when I when I got there, he said, "Eric, I tell you what." Yeah, you know, I told him I wanted to play defense, and he and he was like, "Okay." He said, "I tell you what, I'll give you a shot." And I said, "Coach, and I want to play." I was like, "I'm used to playing. It's football season coming, and I'm I, you know, I, I've always played." Mm-hmm. I, yeah, so. Uh, every year from the time I was 
eight years old until I was 34, except for my seventh grade year, I played football. Right. And the only reason I didn't play in the seventh grade is because they, they wouldn't let me play. They told me I was too small to play. But my favorite year was my eighth grade year because I came back and I was the MVP of that team and we won the championship and I scored all the points. But that's a whole different story. Gail <laughs> <Gail Sazen laughs> in the house. <laughs> and I told him, I said, see, you would have won it last year if you had let me play, coach. That's a- but, <laughs> but that was junior high. That was middle school, so no one cares. But that's my favorite. That's that's my favorite season of all football. But Coach Burgess, so, so Coach Burgess said, okay, I'll tell you what. If you can play – as a freshman, if you're good enough, I'll let you play. Mm-hmm. And he said, and also, if you're good enough to play as a freshman at corner, then I'll let you play corner. But if you are not, I'm redshirting you and I'm moving you to offense. And I said, are, 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 are we real with that? And he was like, yes. And I was like, okay, because I, I knew okay. him. He knew me yes. and I trusted him. So that's reason number one. Uh-huh. Reason number two my mom, oh. Aniston, is 12 miles from Jacksonville State. Interesting. So my it's that mo- close. Okay. Yes. Okay. So it's that close. My mother okay. my mother didn't want to put any pressure on me. And to this day, she'll say it was my decision. But she would say things like, you know, I know that you just took a visit to Tennessee. And that's a really good team. And I, and I can see you were excited about it. But if you went to Jacksonville and you were hungry, I could bring you something to eat. But it's your choice. It's your choice. And I know you're going to go visit LSU next week. But um, if your clothes were dirty, I could wash them if you were at Jacksonville. But it's your choice. Um, So if Auburn gives – but I know Auburn's not that far. And I know I saw the letter. They're interested. But – I could go to every game and it wouldn't be that big a deal to get there. I don't have to worry about traveling. You know, I don't like traveling mm-hmm. a lot. If you went to Jacksonville, but it's your choice. <laughs> <laughs> so that's sort of how it played out. Wow. That's sort of how it played out. And I'm, and I'm a mama's boy to this day. So yes. oh, uh, Jacksonville is Jacksonville is where I went. But so, you know, you combine the fact that I, I had an opportunity to play as a freshman to mm-hmm. play defense and mama, yep. it all, it, uh, the stars aligned for me to go to Jacksonville, and, it, and and I would do it all over again. You give me the, you give me that same choice, the same people. I do it all over again. Wow, that's deep. And and coming out of Jacksonville State, like you know how it is. Uh, what Rakim would say, it's not for, it's not where you're from, it's where you're at. Where so, you at? Mm-hmm. You know. So that's and you were from a Division two school, and you ended up being a second round pick in the NFL draft, but to the San Francisco 49ers who were the defending Super Bowl 24 champions. Yeah. And mm-hmm. how talk about like how the hard work that you put into being recognized, how gratifying it was, and and also knowing that the the next journey that you embark in into, you have to really earn your stripes and earn your playing time. Uh, you know, it's interesting about that uh, and the way you phrase that. That's how it, it's normally phrased. But, uh, you know, like you're stepping off into this this unknown realm and uh, you had to do so much to get there. Mm-hmm. Man, I just played ball. I just I just went to I never had these aspirations of being this professional football player. Mm-hmm. I played football because it was football season. 
you know, when it was basketball season, I'd play basketball. When it was baseball season, I'd play baseball. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So it was it was something that I did. And then the one thing that I did do, I mentioned to you earlier, you couldn't be the bad kid. I had mm-hmm. strict parents. You couldn't be the bad kid. You had to get good grades. That's right. Um, so everyone in my family was doing that. It, I did notice something early on, though, playing ball. Mm-hmm. I noticed I noticed how my parents' shoulders would get a little bit of a lift and their chest would come out just a little bit when someone said, Hey, Eric had a good game. Yep. Yep. So yep. I realized that was something that I could give them that my siblings weren't giving them. So okay. that's that was my that was my main reason for playing ball. It was like, okay, that's I can kind of I can kind of stand out a little bit around here. Because I see I'm wired a little differently than than my siblings. Because mm-hmm. um, you're a little crazy to be a ball player, and and I especially a football player. I, I was wired a little differently, and I noticed that that I, uh, you know, uh, the pain tolerance and everything else that that's required to play this game. It, it didn't bother me in some aspects. I even liked it. Yes. Um. So. So that was that was the thing that so I just played the game and I just kept playing it and the and the great part about it you, you know my my parents didn't make a lot of money and and my older siblings had all gone to the University of Alabama I'm the only one of that didn't graduate from the University of Alabama Wow and that's um, interesting you you would have been part of Gene Stallings program right or was he the coach at that time uh, or, or he got Stallings there, after? there? Huh? He got Stalin's may. I mean, Bear Bryant may have still been. I can't even remember. Oh no! Oh, oh no! Bear Bryant was it there? Yeah, yeah. Stalin. Yeah. Stalin's problem. Yeah. yeah that's so Stalin. <laughs> so, so it may it may have been Stalin's at that time. If if it was um, now though, you wouldn't been with. If it was now, I'm sure you would have joined Saban. Come on, you know, you know. Um, uh, you 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 know what? I will say this: Alabama <laughs> is probably if Alabama never offered. If Alabama had offered me. I probably would have gone there, no matter what, even to play wide receiver. Okay, because it, you know that that was. I mean, I grew up in Addison, Alabama. I, I mean, everyone's like, why doesn't Alabama have a pro team? Like they do. It's mm-hmm. the University of Alabama. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, that's it, that's that's how it is. I mean, I, you know, as as a young kid, I remember watching. I remember when um, when Bear Bryant came through the schools uh, and he was um, recruiting. Um, Alan Dow, a guy from my high school, and I remember, I remember okay. Bear Bryant walking through, and it was like, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, it was, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it yeah. was like I, this bigger than life figure walking the hallway, right. even That's though he's right. a, he was a, a small man, but it was just like this is Bear Bryant, and like, wearing crazy. that hat, he was wearing that uh, fedora, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. So, I mean, it was crazy when he came through like that. Just the presence that he had. This is Bear Bryant, but so going back to the Forty ers mm-hmm. you got it. So. So now, so now, so let's just. So I was just playing ball because it's what I did, and 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 it, so it wasn't like okay, I'm doing this and I got to prove to them because I want to go pro. I just played, and my junior year, um, ironically, it was a cowboy scout named Dave Campo uh, Dave that Cam- pulled me out of class. Yeah, yeah you remember Dave Campo exactly. was, was there? I think defensive coordinator, right? He was defensive coordinator. Yes, yeah, so at, at one point he made it, he made it to coordinator. He was a scout and, and he coached. He, he made uh, yeah, so he. He coached teams there for a while, mm-hmm. and um, Campo pulled me out of class, and um, he was there to rec- he was there really looking at one of my defensive linemen, uh, Orlando Cheeseburger Adams. So he was there to check out Cheese because mm-hmm. I played at this defense. I played at this D two school, but I had eight guys uh, get a shot. Mm-hmm. 
We were pretty good for a D2 team. Actually, yeah. um, we were really good for a D2 team. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you have – I mean, I had a couple of D linemen, a quarterback, both of my corners, my free safety, a linebacker. We had, we had, we had guys – we were, we were pretty good anyway. But Campbell came and pulled me out of class and said um, he uh, he just needed to meet me. He said, because I'm here, and everyone told me I need to check out Cheeseburger, but I keep – seeing this number five that was my number he said i keep seeing this number five jump out and make plays and uh-huh. I, every time i go to film on this number five is doing something so i needed to see who this number five is mm-hmm. and um his next comment was he said i can't promise you you'd get drafted said but if you were a senior because no one came out early then because we're talking the 80s nobody that's right. came out early that's right that's right uh he he said um i uh, he he said, I, I would say that you'd get a shot at camp. I'd ask him to invite you to camp. He said, but you're not a senior. He said, so I'll be back next year, mm-hmm. and um, you can let me know if you really want a chance by what you put on film. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I just went to work, and I said, I can live with not being. And I told my parents, I can live with not being good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not meant to be. That's fine. I said, but I don't want to spend the rest of my life saying if I had worked out more, if I had trained harder, if I had lifted more, then I'm going to just, you know, do everything I can and just see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Now, the question is that transition and getting there uh, as a pro and, and going to the 49ers. My coaches were so demanding. Yeah. They expected so much from us mm-hmm. from the time. Because as, as I said, I started as a freshman. I was there, which is another reason why we were so good. We had on, out of our 55-man traveling squad, 44 um, freshmen were right. on it right. um, with my freshman year. So we basically played four years together with the same guys, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is very rare for college. Yeah. And um, my co- our coaches were just very demanding, and they expected us to perform at a high level, and nothing else was ex- accepted, and you were expected to be strong and fast and you couldn't get tired and my coach would say all the time that we don't pull hamstrings and we don't twist ankles mm-hmm. and we never got water you could get water before practice we'd have a three-hour practice you could get water before practice mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. get water after practice i don't care if it was 110 degrees because my coach's philosophy was that water was for water was mercy and mercy was for the weak no <laughs> That's what he used to tell yeah. water yeah. is water is mercy and mercy is for the weak so that's that's the that's the demanding uh, coaches that I played for. So when I got to the 49ers, uh, it was fast paced competition every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys were expecting to win, expecting to do their job at the highest level. And I was asked, "What was it like?" And I was like, "Well, it was kind of normal. It's what I was used to." Already, I, yeah. I it, and and the only thing, and it was the next football season. You know, I had always played football, and it was next season. And the next, when football season started, I was on a team, like always. Mm-hmm. So I just went out and I did what I was supposed to do. And, you know, how is it lining up against Jerry Rice? It's, it's like lining up against everybody else. Yeah. I got a job to do, so you go cover him. And that's really the way it was. I was I was never in awe of the situation. And I look back on it now, I understand the greatness of the guys that I work was around um, the Ronnie Lotts, the Jerry Rice, Joe Montana, Eric Wright. Roger Craig, Eric Wright, too, Eric Wright, mm-hmm. yes, Eric Wright, yeah. Keith Turner, uh, Matt, one of the 
one of the one of um, I mean one of the prime and most um, prevalent reasons that I had a successful career. Um, yes. Matt Millen. Yes. These veterans kind of these veterans never acted like veterans. They just kind of took me under their wing, and they were like, "Hey, Ed, you come with us, and this is how you do it, and this is how you study, and this is the way you practice, and this is what goes on." And no one ever acted like they were these all pros or great players or, or Hall of Famers. They just they were the football players. I'm like, come on, we we will need you to do something mm-hmm. at some point. So we need to teach you how to do it the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I was. So that's what I was accustomed to. So I, I didn't know it wasn't that way everywhere else. I didn't know that all the other teams didn't operate that way. That there were actually veterans that didn't understand that part of being a vet was to teach the next guy how to take your job. I, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. All I knew was the Niner way. So it was for, I was very fortunate that it was similar to Jacksonville state and the way I had been coached and the expectations that had been placed upon us and uh, the expectations that I had placed upon myself that I needed to perform and do my job at a level to where the guys around me weren't worried about me doing my job. So that's, that's kind of how it was when I got to the Niners, it was just there at first, like, okay, this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then later all the pressure starts to set in. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah For sure. And we're going to talk about that pressure, but before we do, um, I have a greeting, a surprise greeting for you, because I like to surprise my subjects with um, greetings from people that are familiar in their lives. And this gentleman came up with you in the 49ers organization. So here's uh, the greeting. Here we go. Here we go. Rumor has it that the great Eric Davis was coming on the show to visit with my great friend, Nabate Isle. So Merton Hanks had to chime in. Uh, uh, and get a quick word into my good friend Eric Davis. First and foremost, just wanted to congratulate him. His impact certainly on my life as a, a, a football player and more importantly, as a man has been profound. We learned great lessons together and, and those lessons, quite frankly, have been carried over into my work, certainly on the uh, professional side on regarding the NFL and as well as the NCAA side now with Conference USA and, and our FBS football programs nationwide. So I just want to congratulate Eric that and, and let him know how much I appreciate him, uh, how much I value his words, his thoughts, his friendship. And I'm always praying nothing but the very best for him and his family. Eric, I salute my friend. You take care. From Merton Hanks, yeah, yeah, you're running mate back in that defensive backfield. <laughs> yeah, that's my dude. That's my dude. You, you know, it's 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 funny. Um, you go through so much with guys when you're out there, and um, and and you compete with them, and 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 you compete together, mm-hmm. and you don't realize because when you're playing, you're so locked in, and and you're ball players, and you're invincible, and you don't realize the friendship that you're actually forging. That's right. And as life goes on, uh, you know, you, you realize when you're there for one another and, and how it, it all, where it all started from it. And he and I, I told someone that today, when I was doing my podcast, I told someone that today that like we were born and raised Niners. 
we didn't know anything else Mm -hmm. we we were born in the colors we were raised in the colors and 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 that pressure and that expectation it became our normal the gold rush Um, the gold rush y'all part of and it was yeah and it was what we it's what we were supposed to do and you know we were told every day that we were brought there uh to win a championship that's what we were there for. That and we and we had to put furniture in the building. And by furniture, they meant a new trophy, a Super Bowl trophy. Mm-hmm. And they were like, "You always have a key to the building." And that that was that's all that mattered to us. We yes. didn't, and it was not to be an All Pro, not to be a starter, not to be a Pro Bowler, um, but to be a Niner. Mm-hmm. Understand what it meant to be a Niner, and part of being a Niner was to deliver championships to the city that, and that was it and that was that was all we cared about and really and um and and through that yeah we we <laughs> we got to be pretty good boys just <laughs> fighting those fights and and lose you know losing some winning some yeah. um you know you 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 wear the scars and um you grow from it and get stronger. No, that was cool, man. Yeah, yes. I wasn't expecting that. Oh, man. No, absolutely, Sir E.D. And, and, and we're talking to former All-Pro, Super Bowl champion, and, and, and tremendous broadcaster, Mr. Eric Davis, on the fifth edition of Where They At. And speaking of that expectation, I remember talking with Merton, and he said, I'll never forget, he said that, 19, that 1994 season, because – 90, the Niners lost to the Giants in the NFC Championship game, then didn't make the playoffs in 91. 92-93 lost both years to the to the eventual champion Dallas Cowboys. So when the Cowboys came into San Francisco and that 94 season getting Deion Sanders to join you, you know, and, and Tim McDonald and Ricky Jackson and all those guys, like, but Merton said that you all were playing for your jobs. Pretty much that '94 season, that pressure was crazy, wasn't it, Eric? Uh, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and and you know what? So this is the thing. Merton said we were playing for our jobs in '94, mm-hmm. but we were playing for our jobs in '93 and '92, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. '91. That's see, that, see, that was the thing about the Niners. Excellent. Mm-hmm was all that was accepted. Yes. And we and there was a saying we would have rather don't be the guy. And by that we meant don't be the guy to screw it up for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh mm-hmm. you know, in in lower level levels, everyone who's played sports, they've always heard that adage, you know, we win as a team, we lose as a team. Mm-hmm. That didn't fly with the Niners. We won as a team. Yeah. If we lost, it was somebody's fault. Because if everyone mm-hmm. did their job, we wouldn't lose. So That's if we right. lost, it was someone's fault. So it be- don't be the guy. Don't let me say it was your fault too many times or you are gone because we appreciate mm-hmm. the effort. If you are giving me your best and your very best each and every time and it's not good enough, then I have to find someone better than you. Mm-hmm. Thanks mm-hmm. for the effort, but you're not good enough to get it done. And that was the Niner way, period. Yes. Yes. They were always looking for someone better than you. So you had to be better every single day. You had to put in work and grind and continue to work on your craft. So Merton is not lying by saying that we were all playing for our jobs, but it was one of those things. I I, I sensed it more that it was it, – it had to be done. It was the art of war situation. It was the sun zoom situation where you're going off in the war and you're giving you will give your enemy a way out 
but you are going to put yourself in a situation to where there's only one way through, where there is no retreat by you. Like That's you right. have to have this victory. Yes. There, it, it, it's impossible. There is nothing else that stands. There is no way you can breathe without getting to the other side. Mm -hmm. And that's where we were at that point because we had lost to that team. And, um, yes, you mentioned those names that had come along, but you also said that, look, 90, we were a game away from the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Even in 91, that team lost on a Hail Mary to the sorry Atlanta Falcons. Oh, that's right. And that kept us – that kept us out of the playoffs, and I still think that team would have gone to the Super Bowl. At the end of the year, I think that that team was playing better than anyone in the league. Mm -hmm. And that one game, we finished ten and six, and that kept us out of the playoffs. Eleven mm -hmm. and five, we would have won the division, and we would have been in the playoffs. Yeah, but that that hail mary cost us, and the Saints made it to the playoffs. Um, Ninety two. We, we were better than the Dallas Cowboys. We were a game away. I will go to my grave knowing that we were better than them, just like I will go to my grave knowing that the 93 team was the best team I ever played against in my life. Mm. We could play them. We, we could play that team uh, 20 more quarters, and the score would only get uglier. They were just – they were yeah. they were a machine. Yes. They, were, they were better. Uh, and we were, we were really good. But 92, we should have beaten them. 93, they should have they, – they, they did – they beat us 94 it had to be done and there was no way around it and the pressure was there and it was that moment as i was saying earlier that friendship that that bond that Merton and i have yes. like we had been raised there we had had those opportunities and this was it had to be done we couldn't let another moment get away we had to get our key to the building we had we had to become a part of the history of the city we had Ooh. to do something historic in the colors. We couldn't let it get away. Mm -hmm. We it just it, it had to be done, and uh, you know all the stars aligned. And and Ed, and you set the tone with that pick six when you jumped that route right. There, you know what I mean? Like that that pick six right there. That that set the tone right there. When it was what thirty seconds into the game. That pick six that you had on eight. Uh, well, I don't. You know what? I don't know how much time was on the clock, but what I do know, it was the first third down of the game. And how and why mm -hmm. I know that is because um, Tim McDonald and I would go in. Um, Tim McDonald taught me more about football than anyone I ever wow. played with in my life. More yes, than any did. coach, more than and I had some really good coaches. He was he was the smartest football player, defensive football player I was ever around. Mm -hmm. Um. And and part of that could have been where I was as a player to where I could take it in and soak it in. But he and I would go in every morning and we would be in before 6 a.m. watching film. Wow. And leading up to that game, I literally had watched every single play from of the of the Dallas Cowboys offense from preseason throughout the playoffs up until the last game they had played. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just going back and forth, going back and forth. You know, you started to pick up. You started to pick up tendencies about things. They call it analytics now, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yep. so funny now. But it, it's so funny when I hear them say, "Well, this coach won't get into analytics." I'm like, football has always had analytics. Exactly. They call them tendencies. It's, it's, that's right. It's, it, you can't. It's like like since the beginning of football. That's you. You've always used. You, you look. You use position on the field. You know formations. That's right. Down and distance. And sequences. And you start to look at things. And sequences. Absolutely. You know? mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what I. So something that I noticed 
that in a certain down and distance with certain personnel groupings, only on the first first down of the game, not not the first time Dallas got the ball, but it had to be the absolute first third down of the game. Mm-hmm. So you would have to kick off to them. They'd have to win the opening kick. You kick off to them, and the very first third down of the, of the game, if the down and distance was in a certain area, they would run this particular play. Uh-huh. So, And I noticed that. And I remember telling Tim, I was like, you know what, I've seen this play a few times, and I went back and I showed him and I showed him, and that play had jumped out a couple times. but it, but And and it was like, okay. And then I, I saw the play, and I, I recognized the play, but then I was like, wait a minute, this only happens in this situation. So I picked up on that. Yeah. So now – Let's cut. Let's cut to the game, and you know what are the odds of us of that happening? That third down hits, and it's that down and distance. So now the next thing is the personnel grouping. You got to get a certain personnel grouping. Okay, mm-hmm. so now that hits. Now you need the formation mm-hmm. that hits. And when that hit, when they came out of the huddle, you know, I I knew the down and distance. When you want, you know, Ken Norton calls out personnel. We're getting to play. We're doing all these things. So now you need to also be in a defense that will allow you to do what's necessary. Yep, yep. And everything he knows that team happens. better than anybody. You know that. You know yeah. he know, knows that yeah. team. So, so every so everything happens, and when and when the play is called, uh, so so now they come out of the huddle in that formation, and I turn to Tim McDonald, and I looked him right in his eye, and I said, "Here it comes." So now the only thing we had to do is is make choice. I mean, uh, Troy. Aikman, all we had to do was not allow him to know that we knew what he was doing. That's right. And that's how that happened. It was, you know, just good old-fashioned film study, man. Mm-hmm. We just saw it, and, and and you know, I was able to, you know, jumpstart what we knew was happening because we knew that there was no way we were leaving that field with the, with the nail. We were not taking the nail. And I was able to jumpstart it. And because we were all talking, Prime and I were talking about it. And then we, the only words we had before that game, he just looked at me and he was like, you ready? And I was like, oh, I'm ready. You ready? And he was like, I'm ready. And that was it. Mm-hmm. And we went out there and, and, and uh, we were ready. This team, that team was good to go from top to bottom in every phase. And um, I'll put that squad up against anybody. Yes, yes, no doubt. Talking with Eric Davis, former All-Pro, Super Bowl champion, great broadcaster. Now, E.D., you went on to the Carolina Panthers with Don mm-hmm. Capers, second year of the franchise existence. You joined them that year, and you had a major uh, contribution into making that NFC uh, uh, conference, uh, the NFC uh, championship game. And I want to ask you now about the, the current Panthers because, you know, you you started with the Panthers just as, as much as you started with the 49ers. But now with players, you know, retiring early, Luke Heakley, uh mm-hmm. he retired in the prime of his career. Now you're a Niner, you're a Panther. Who should make the Hall of Fame first? Because you're an analyst, a great analyst. Keekley or fellow 49ers, obviously they didn't play with you, but later on, Patrick Willis, P. Willie, or Navarro Bowman. Which three of those linebackers should make the hall first? Oh, well, Patrick Willis is going to make it first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Patrick, Patrick, Patrick Willis will make it because, number well, first of all, just, there's time. Luke Kuechly won't make it before. Um, Patrick Willis will be up first, and oh. um, it'll be – 
it, so, so, so if, if if you're saying all things being equal, because you have to be out. Of yeah, the that's right. Of time. Absolutely, my fault. I should have yeah. phrased that. Yeah, who's the better play? The better career, better player. You know, because all those so careers will cut so short. If we're, so if we're just if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about it, um, just all things being equal, if all of these guys, all three are up for the hall at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, um, or you said I can only take one. Yeah. Because. Because if I can only take one, then I'm going to put Patrick Willis in. Okay. Uh, Keekley is definitely going to make the hole. Um, um, I I think both both of those guys are, are uh, they are both definitely worthy of it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Navarro Bowman uh, again is he is that caliber player. I think he's a notch below both of those guys. Okay. Uh, but I mean, but I mean, it is. It, it, the distance is so minuscule that it, you know most wouldn't even most wouldn't even know it. I, Bo was before his injury. I mean, he was so athletic; he Ooh. could do some things that he he could do some things that I think in some ways that the other two couldn't. But they were more they were more thumpers uh, uh, than Bo. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but uh, but all all great all great players. Uh, Patrick Patrick was just. Uh, he, he he was the he was the best linebacker in, in his prime. He was the better of those three, in my opinion. Okay, okay, yes, yes, and and that that's why I wanted to ask you because it's something because those three, to me, you know, I, I it's fun. they the most they're the most accomplished linebackers. You know, other like behind Ray Lewis, they're that tier right behind yeah. Ray Lewis of the last of this of this century of the last twenty years, basically. You know. Yeah, I mean Ray Lewis. Ray, Ray Lewis may be the greatest linebacker ever, mm-hmm. um, and and you know when people you know people always go into the single Terry's and and you know LT uh, of course but you know don't forget LT oh, well LT, LT was a different LT was a different breed LT was an outside rusher <laughs> oh, okay. I mean he was oh, a different okay. but we're but, but oh. we're talking about inside inside I mean, I mean, I you know, okay. LT is yeah. LT isn't the greatest football player argument so that's that's a whole different <laughs> we're, we're talking middle linebackers yes. Um, I, I mean, because I mean, there there are very there are very few linebackers that could deliver the way Ray did, and you think and think about being the catalyst of a multiple championship team. Yes, I yes. mean, you know, you'll get linebackers that I mean, good linebackers they'll deliver one, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's it, you know you know the Derek Brooks, um, the Mike Singletary. That's right. I mean, we we can go to you'll have that you'll have that guy that will deliver one. Uh, but but I mean even Patrick Willis he got he didn't deliver he got his team to a Super Bowl but Ray actually cashed in and he was the reason That's right. as to why his team won one I mean he was he was that influential on the guys that were around him yes, um, right. MVP so, so that, Super that's Bowl a whole MVP different thing but mm-hmm. yeah yes yes mm-hmm. and I, you know and I mean he was a player of the year and I mean mm-hmm. he was he was that type of type of guy Keekley. Uh, no, I mean Keekley's a baller. I, I mean, I would have loved to have played with him. I mean, he's he's flat out player. All three of those guys are great. But it, you know, if like you you asked me if I could only put one in and they were up at the same time, I'm going to put Patrick Willis in first. Okay, no, dig that, dig that. And now I, I want to now fast forward Super Bowl Fifty Four. Yes, indeed. Your former, your Niners, you know, are back and they're attempting to win their first title in 25 years. Of course, they made the trip to the bowl uh, in 2012. Yeah, 2012. That one doesn't count. Yeah, I, that I'm sorry. One doesn't count. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. What's that? 
That I said that doesn't count. Oh, that, that doesn't count. Oh, okay. Oh, no. okay. 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 No, no, yeah, we we don't even mention that one around these parts. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> my fault. My fault. My fault. But but you know that comeback was crazy though. That comeback almost, uh, you know, it was a great comeback by your Niners. I mean, yeah, I'm just saying. That you that that we don't mention that around these parts. Oh, okay. That never happened. Sorry, I'll zip it. I'll zip it. I'll zip it. But <laughs> <laughs> but but Super Fifty Four Niners Chiefs. I mean, this defense, this Niners defense, and and what? But first, I want to really, I want to ask you about John Lynch. The job he's okay. done. He had no experience. He was he was a broadcaster, you know, basically. But of course, you know, a one a, a Hall of Fame or a future Hall of Famer because he'll eventually get into Canton, um, and he knows the game. So how did you think he would be able to turn his team around so quickly? Because remember, you know, they took some lumps the first couple of years with Kyle Shanahan and him. It's amazing the job he's done. Like a breakdown, how he's really made uh, this team, you know, one victory away from being one of the all-time uh, great defenses in the history of the game, especially if they win the Super Bowl. Um, well, I'm. I, I, to, am I shocked that the turnaround has been so fast? Yes, mm-hmm. yes, that I am. Um, when he took over, when he and Kyle came in. Um, the cupboard wasn't as bare as the the record would have indicated. Mm-hmm. So there were some pieces left there by Trent Balkin. Uh, he was smart enough to know what he needed to add to and how to get it and how to bring it in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a, a very um, a widely overlooked fact a factor in the success is that um, of um, Martin Mayhew. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martin Martin Mayhew. Um, you know, had been assisting GMs for a while in different places. So yes. I mean, he's a pretty good Italian uh, talent evaluator. So it's not like John came in completely green and didn't have football people in his ear and around him That's and helping right. him. It's like Henry Ford, uh, so, like the Henry Ford principle. You know, Henry Ford said, "I yes. just get people that around me that know more than I do," and that's you know, and that's that's what great entrepreneurship is. <laughs> Yes, yes. So, so you know, those guys together have been able to uh, hit on selections. Um, you know, they've they've been really good at the top of the draft. Uh, but the thing that really makes you good is when you can find the Kittles later, when you can find the Witherspoons and the um, um, and the, um, the Mosleys later. When you're smart enough, a guy who's been you know cut from seven teams and a mustard, and you, and you see something when you say, well, you know what, I think. You play tailback for me and, and he performs mm-hmm. uh you're, you're you you identify your quarterback which is what you have to do yep. you identify your quarterback and i've always said if, if you if you say this is your guy i don't care if you move up to pick him select him number one if you trade and get him if you know what whatever you have to do if you say this is my guy you identify your guy you go get him they have they identified their guy and said, this is the person that can run the offense and we can be successful and win games, they got that. They were smart enough to look at a guy like a Richard Sherman and say that this guy has value beyond what he puts on the field because he can teach players. He's one of those vets that I told you about that understands that part of a veteran's job is to teach the next man how to take his job Mm -hmm. and not feel threatened by that. He can make a locker room better. He can make players in a room better. He can make a unit better because he understands what it means to be a champion. 
And I was literally, when he got cut, the moment he got cut, I was texting him. I was calling people at the night, like, get this guy on the team because I knew he was going to get healthy. I, I, you know, they were, they looked beyond his injury um, and his so-called reputation that the reality show had put out there because that's all sports is. It's a reality show. Yep. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's all it is. I mean, foot, you know, pro sports is a reality is reality television. Yes. And, you know, you're portrayed, you, you know, some people have to be the villain. Some people have to be the stars. You know, it, that's just the way it is. Right. Um, so they, they understood all of that. John understood all of that. And they put a group together, coaching staff included, that were able to come together. And I'm shocked that it has come together this quickly. Mm-hmm. The things that they did, you know, with the trade, in the draft and yeah. the free agency. Those first round picks come uh, into fruition. It looked, it looked yeah. good on paper before it to come together this quickly. That's amazing. Yes, yes indeed. And 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 I wanted speaking of Richard Sherman and speaking of cornerbacks with you being an elite quarterback, Darrell Revis and Richard Sherman just for years <laughs> have been beefing. <laughs> <laughs> like that, and then it, of course it culminated <laughs> with another exchange after the NFC Championship game. Uh, Revis and Sherman. I mean, <laughs> this is good for like a position that doesn't get the recognition it deserves. Because if you have a lockdown corner, then your team is is it ma- your team is magnified quickly. Uh, well, you have to have one good corner. That's that's one thing that I learned a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And I remember Tim McDonald used to tell me that because if you have one good corner, then you can run your defense. You can always you can always rotate away from that guy. You can try and you can try and double team in places and protect these and overload certain places. If you don't have a corner, you're in trouble. The more good corners you have, the more you're capable of doing. And in some situations, the less you have to do. Because if your corners can cover the guys outside, then you free up nine guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really do, which makes it difficult to run on a team. Which makes it, you know, that that's the thing about it. if you can just line up and just play across the board. That's right, uh, and that's what we were able to do in '94. We we literally could line up and we play 65, 70 snaps on defense, and no exaggeration. Uh, 45 to 55 of those snaps would be the same defense. Mm-hmm, that's uh, right. Because there, you, you, you knew what we were doing. It was like we were just good enough to to just line up and just play whoever we were lined up against. That's right. There cat, was nothing that you do about it. Cat coverage. You um, grab a cat, right? <laughs> there it is. There it is. I grab you a cat got that to cover. cat. I got that cat. That was it. We played cat coverage a lot of times, most of the time. That's right. Uh, so – so that's that's just that's just the that's just a part of of being able to to put a unit together to put a squad together and and um you know move forward in, in that aspect. Now, did what, did Revis have a, a legit point about Sherman? Because Revis saying that hey, you know, I, I I take out one guy and that's it. You know, you you don't switch sides. You know, so did, um, did he have a legit well, uh, <laughs> claim? Well, this well this is so this is the thing. Um, um, did he have? Well, see, understand, Revis was at Revis was capable of and asked to play the game a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, his defenses were were drawn and created based on the way he played. Mm-hmm. Sherm, and he was very effective at it. Mm-hmm. And I and, and I'm on record. I'm on record to say that I, mean, I used to argue 
um, on record that Rivas was the best player, not not the best corner. Like he was the he had a stretch, he had a four year stretch where oh. I I to this day can still argue he was the best player in the NFL, yes. bar none. I don't you know regardless of position, he was the best player and. And I and I will still stand by that because there wasn't an offensive lineman that didn't give up a sack. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a defensive lineman that didn't miss a tackle. Linebacker. There wasn't a there wasn't a quarterback that didn't have a bad game. That be that Brady or Peyton Manning or Aaron Rodgers. There was there was no one. But Rebus, for four years straight, sixteen games a year, would line up on the number one and erase him week yes. in and week out right. and win every snap. He, he won everything, every game, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for four years straight. It was, it, it was incredible yeah. in his prime. It, it was incredible. Yes. Now, so, so what he was asked to do is not what Sherm was asked to do. Now, with that being said, mm-hmm. Sherm was asked to play the game a different way. And he may not necessarily be able to do what – Rivas did physically. I don't think he has the physical makeup to do some of the things and some of and some of the movement that yeah. Rivas had. Yes, but but that was ne- wasn't necessary for the way he was asked to play the game, and he learned to contribute uh, at a Hall of Fame level to his defense. Mm-hmm. So he was able to erase everything on one side of the field. So like I was start I started off by saying if you had one if you had a guy, one guy that you knew you could count on, mm-hmm. now you can do other things with the defense. So his effect on how an offense is run was just as impactful. Yeah. He just didn't necessarily chase a guy around the field. So when as same the same way I say what Rivas was asked to do I truly don't think Sherm could have done that and yeah. and would have been successful. He could have done some of it. Yeah. I don't think he could have done all of it and been su- successful week in and week out. Mm-hmm. Vice versa, mm-hmm. I don't think Rivas could do all the things that Sherm does in space, mm. in combination defenses, um, working uh, the way they ask him to do in some of the trap coverages. I don't think Rivas would have been as successful as Sherman has been in that type defense. So both of the guys have a legitimate argument mm-hmm. and it's based on it's based on their real because they both will have Hall of Fame careers. Yes. Based on what they were asked to do. So it's hard for a guy to sit here and say my way is wrong. Mm-hmm. How, how can you tell Sherman that his way is wrong when he's going to be a Hall of Famer? Mm-hmm. How can you tell Revis that his way is wrong? when he's going to be a Hall of Famer. That, that, so that's the thing. They're, they're arguing apples and oranges. Now, there's a storyline that's emerged. Frank Clark of the Chiefs replaced D. Ford. Um, mm-hmm. for the Chiefs, and now D. Ford's with the 49ers. It's kind of crazy, you know? And D. Ford with that offside penalty, because uh, Brady had – he was picked off, and the game was over. Yeah. The Chiefs could have <laughs> went to the Super Bowl, but that offside penalty reversed it, and then – uh, Brady was able to tie the game, and then the game went to overtime. Now, Frank Clark was very critical of D. Ford, saying that was a dumb penalty. And then he said he doesn't even know D. Ford. I don't know him. I don't know what school he went to. I mean, what do you think of that? Do you think Frank Clark is is just totally out of line for calling out D. Ford like that? Or is it just to, to build the hype of the game? 
Uh, I'm sure it's um, to build the hype of the game, and it was a dumb play. You can't be <laughs> off sides right there. Yeah, 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 you, yeah, you can't. Right, right. You, you can't. You, you, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. You can't. I, I, if I had been on that team, I, I like I get it. There are some things you can do, but I'd hate you to this day. I'd hate you. I, I mean, I mean, I, I love catfish, but Roger fumbled that ball against the Giants. I'm still mad at him about that. Oh, oh man, oh man. I, I mean, I, I mean, that's just one of those things. And LT you, scooped you, it you, up. <laughs> yeah, mistakes, mistakes can happen. Mistakes happen, and they can happen. But there are sometimes where it can't happen. Now, it can't happen at that moment. Mm-hmm. You can't do. You can't jump off sides right there. You can't. You 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 literally cost an organization. A trip to the Super Bowl oh, yeah. because you jumped off sides. Okay, if you okay, if a guy beats you on the play, he was just better than you. Mm-hmm. That happens. They get paid too. Yeah. You know, if 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 this dude makes this this Odell Beckham three finger catch, okay, that happens. If yeah. the ball bounces off your hands, if, if it's something like that, but you jump off sides, that is stupid. Yeah. You can't do that. Not in that situation. Now, with that being said, D. Ford doesn't care. He doesn't care what this guy says about him. He because D. already knows that. He mm-hmm. knows that it was a messed up play. Mm-hmm. He knows all these things. You're not going to hurt his feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you, you know. So you know, Frank can talk about it. I, you know, he. It's one of those situations where you want the attention. You're trying to get it. You got it. Okay, the microphones are there. But at the end of the day, you have to play the game. And and we'll see how and, you know. And you're going against a team that actually knows you. That's right. It's not like it's not like you're going to surprise the Niners. They know who you are. You're in their division. So it's 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 just talk. That's that's all it is. But I I do have to agree. I I, I can't get mad at him for calling out a dumb play. It was a dumb play. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, if if you're D Ford, I mean, how can you tell me it's not? But you're going to say it was a good play. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean that's that's sort of, that's sort of the way I looked at. And you know, I've, I've been asked before about seeing players, and you know, people ask me that all the time. Like, how is it when you walk up on a guy that you've been critical? People, it's not personal. I, I said, I said the reason I don't have a problem being real, I was like because ball players are real. They know what's going on. Mm-hmm. A guy knows if he did something good. He knows he knows if he's playing well. He knows if he if he's playing poorly. So, if I call a bad play, I'm not saying he's a bad player. I'm not saying he's a bad person. I'm saying he had a bad play. play. And if I call a bad play a bad play, I have no problem saying, "Explain to me how that is a good play." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's it's that simple. So it's like, like if well, why, why would you be upset because I said it was a bad play? They know yeah. it's a bad play. And you know what that <laughs> so, and that motivates. So D Ford knows that was a bad play. Mm-hmm. He knows that was a he knows that was a stupid play. Yep. And you know what? That's gonna motivate him because he knows that team very well. He practiced against that team. He practiced against Mitchell mm-hmm. Swartz and 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 Eric Fisher. So oh, now it's on. <laughs> now it's on. Now I think I'm gonna and, pick and him to be what? Super Bowl and, MVP. And I, I had firsthand. <laughs> I had and, and in the Super Bowl, and you're right. And I had firsthand experience doing that, leaving the 49ers, going to the Carolina Panthers, and it was funny playing against those guys. It was like practice. Mm-hmm. It was it was one of those things, and you know, and I would see my I would see my teammates and even the coaching staff and how everybody would would get so hyped up for that game, and it was just a relaxed thing going against them because it was it was literally Jerry Rice and I would start a conversation, 
every time I played against him, we would literally start a conversation pregame, and the conversation would go on until the game was over. Like every play, <laughs> we would sit there and talk. And we, hey, we'd line up, and I would try to kick his tail. He'd try to kick my tail. Play was over. You know what? If I made a play, he'd say good play. If he made a play, I'd say good play. We would, and then we, you know, we would. The conversation would keep going. Yeah, it was, it was that relaxed, and that's how D Ford is is going to be. He's going to be intense between plays. He's going to make his plays, but he knows these guys so well that it it, it does sort of give him, you know, it puts him in a relaxed state. And yeah. and I think it gives him an edge because I think he's better than those guys that are going to be trying to um, block him. Absolutely, absolutely. Wow, that I'm telling you, the science that you that you're dropping right now. Uh, wow, and I, I'm here on the fifth episode of Where They At with Eric Davis, former All Pro, Super Bowl champion, as well as great broadcaster. And I do a segment pretty much for each of the different athletes. I, like for example, for basketball, fast break; for baseball, hit and run; for football, it's called the no huddle. And I'm gonna ask you like some quick questions, and and then uh, you give me like like quick answers, like one sentence answers you know but i'm gonna go real quick so here we go toughest receiver you've ever covered uh sterling sharp yes yes yeah he could do he 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 wasn't the best at anything he was number two on every list though he was that he's that solid he was good at everything wow that's right and now most underrated player that you played with or against a player that that's name that his name is forgotten Wow, underrated player. Wow. I played with so many really, really good players that I don't think any or against, of them were or against. underrated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, I, that's all because I, most of the guys I played with, they got their love. Um, un, oh, you know what? Underrated player, Don Griffin. Yes. Don yes. Griffin. Don Griffin was a real – I learned a lot from him. He was so smooth at the cornerback position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I got into the league, I think he was like in his fourth or fifth year, uh-huh. and he was just becoming a solid player. And I, I would just watch Griffin. Mud Dog was – he was really quiet, um, didn't do anything flashy, didn't want the attention. He just went out. He was just a solid, solid player. And because he wasn't flashy, I don't think he ever got the love that he deserved. Wow. Wow. Deep, deep Don Griffin. That's the name. Like him and Eric Wright, both of them are not really heralded. You know, like everyone talks about Ronnie Lott. But, yeah. but Griff, Griffin and Eric and Eric Wright, those cats, you know, uh, were great. Well, before, before, um, what, yeah, before I went back and watched the tape, and before Eric Wright's injury, he was better. Like Ronnie Lott was the name. And Ronnie, I mean, mm. Ronnie was the first-round pick. Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, he was a pro bowl and everything. Ronnie was great. Ronnie was going to be the same player. Yeah. Um, Eric Wright was a better corner. He was a better player yeah. when they were young before he got hurt. He wow. was he was phenomenal. Ooh. Yes, he was. Wow. Yes, indeed. Now, most bizarre teammate? <laughs> uh, Greg Cox. Okay. It was Greg Cox. Yeah, he was a he was a special teams uh, guy. Yep. He, he would make. Every he sat right next to me in the meeting room, and Coxie would come in. He rode a Harley barefoot. Well, he he wore he wore his um, little flip flops and <laughs> rode a Harley um, all the time, no helmet. And he would come in. I mean, he'd show up to meetings late almost every day, 
and just just with scarred knuckles and feet and everything like he'd been fighting cats or something and uh he would just he would come and lay down uh, up against the wall i sat right i set a seat away from the wall he sat right up to my left up against the wall uh-huh. and he would just come sit down come in late sit down and just lean his head up against the wall and go to sleep uh- <laughs> <laughs> and we and we didn't care because Coxie was going to make every single tackle on special. That's right. A la Ted Hendricks. Was, and, Ted Hendricks. Yeah, said, and nobody the bothered him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but, but, yes, yeah, he, was, he was crazy. He was crazy. I, I, I ran into him a few years after he stopped playing, mm-hmm. and literally I was at a stoplight, and he jumped out. This dude, I heard somebody screaming, and I looked, and he jumped out of the car, and he came running at, towards me with, with a gun in his hand. Just oh. running towards me, and and Coxie was just like he was like scream. He was like, "Can you believe it? I'm a bounty hunter. They gave me a gun. Oh. What's wrong with them?" <laughs> oh, and he was waving it like, and you were like, "Okay." And yes. I know you were kind of moving out there. You you were like slipping, like you know, like Mike Tyson. You know, you know what? <laughs> it, you know the funny part about it is that it didn't even shock me. Well, I just heard what I heard screaming. I turned and looked, and then here's Coxie running with a gun in his hand between cars. Like, Ed, can you believe it, man? They gave me a gun. What's wrong with them? What the hell's wrong with them? I'm a bounty hunter. Yes, it was. It was pretty comical. But yes, he was. He, he, I'll, I'll throw him up there. I can give you a few names on that one, but yeah, I'll throw him up there. <laughs> All right, right. Best cornerback in the 2020 uh, NFL draft, the upcoming draft. Uh, oh, well, you know what? The kid out of I can't even think of his name. Uh, the kid out of Ohio State is is um, pretty good. Mm-hmm. But, Jeff Akuda, yeah, just, just pure talent. Uh, yeah, yeah, Akuda. Yep, yeah. yep. He, um, he, that he, he is talented. That, yes. that he's, he's. I think he's the best coming out. Yeah. The song that resonates with you the most. That song. Oh <laughs> man, that that resonates the most. Concerning what? Oh, I would say. I'm a class. I'm a classically trained pianist. So I mean. Oh, I didn't know that, um, Eric. Well, I'm a trumpet. I'm a jazz uh, trumpeter. I'm a jazz myself. No, I didn't know you were classically no. trained pianist. Oh man, we could have chopped in about music yeah. for the hour. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, so okay. So what's your so, go-to? What's your go-to sonata or concerto? So 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 um um I'm a Chopin guy. Chopin, oh, yes. I, um, I, yeah. So I I um um if I. I, I just I think it just brings back memories of just playing it for my mom. So wow. it, it, you know she she it, she was always happy when she heard that. Wow, wow! And, and she would tell me she, she never played a note, but she was just like, "Okay, that's not right." I still remember that. She was like, "That's not right. That's not right." <laughs> if I was like, screw something up, that's no, nope, no, nope, baby, nope. Um, but uh, go to so I mean, um, you know, football, you know, mystical. Here I go. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Um, that would. Um, let me see. Um, if I, if I'm just sitting around, I mean, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Ooh. Reason. Oh, reason. Um, Philip Bailey. I had the opportunity uh, to work with Philip Bailey a few times. Yes, indeed. Uh, oh, well, that's yes. Well, that's honor. That's great. That's great. Yes, sir. Um, um, I mean, it's that's. I, I, that's I, you know, music is one of those things, and you know, from what you've done, music is one of those. It's one of those all-encompassing. Uh, it, it's one of the. It's one of the few real um, blenders in life: sports, 
um, art, music. Those are the things that uh, economics, um, geographics, um, um, social status, uh, religious beliefs, color, Mm -hmm. uh, none of those things matter that you can all agree upon. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a hard one, man, for me. So I hope I gave you enough examples. No, I know you doing this quickly, but you see, remember, I remember I, I I've been talking for a living for a long time. Oh, that I dig that. But let me tell you, that was great <laughs> to know you. We we have to talk more, talk more about some music. Uh, you know, definitely like like because I, w- I wish I knew that. Oh my goodness. Now now, how often are you confused with the MLB All Star Eric Davis? <laughs> Wait a minute. How how often am I? Are you confused? Oh, 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 oh how how often am I confused? confused. Oh, that that's on a regular basis. <laughs> that's on a regular. When I was playing, when I was playing, I mean, I would get his clothes sent to me. Um, I mean, li- literally one time, I had a box come to my house that had like fourteen, fifteen custom suits in it. Uh, but I mean, his. Oh. I mean, I would literally down to down to that type of confusion where his where his. I mean, they shipped his stuff to my house. That's I don't right. Know how that happened? <laughs> you knew it was his too, because you know how he yeah. dressed. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That part, you know. But there was a little stint where we were both in the same locker room there at the Giants. Right. That, that was one thing. Candlestick yeah, Park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we shared the same. We shared the, the exact same um, locker room. Um, which is how I became a Giants fan. People always ask me that, like, you know, you're living in L.A. now. Like, how are you a Giants fan? And I was mm-hmm. like, I was never really – I, I loved playing baseball. It was actually my favorite sport. Uh-huh. I was better at baseball than anything. Yeah. Um, uh, but you don't get to hit people in baseball. Right. Uh, so, but I never had a team until I – and when I got there, you know, I got to know those guys, mm-hmm. Dusty Baker and everyone. So I became a Giants fan because of that. I was – I was, you know, invested yes. personally with him. But yeah, that he would send his things. Um, you know, I, I, I get, you know, always people talk about that. It, it, it's tweets and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because before when I was on, I, I messed up my Twitter. I just got back on it. Yeah. But even now, just back on it for just a, a month or so, I'm still getting them from Eric Davis. Wow. The, you know, the baseball player. So that happens. Um, I'm going to say it happens at least twice a week. Oh, wow. How? Okay. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. And, and what a good what a good brother he is. Oh, I met him through Sam Watson. Sam Watson was involved with Premier Boxing Champions and years mm-hmm. back I met him. Uh, it was at, uh, it was um Roy it was the Roy Jones it was right before the Roy Jones Antonio Tarver re no, the third fight between them down in, in Florida and such a great cat indeed, Eric Davis. Um yes indeed. And, and last but not least, this question. Okay. Favorite Kobe Bryant moment, you know, we lost uh the Mamba um and uh tragically and and what was your favorite moment since you're you're a sports fan overall a sports aficionado and expert what was your favorite Kobe Bryant moment Oh man um wow I've seen so many and and what that's that's such a shame isn't it? that's tragic oh, I mean all those lives lost but that is just so yes. tragic off. Losing his daughter. And, oh. uh, you, you're talking about, and and on my birthday at that, yeah, it's, right. it's just, it's just, it's one of those, it's one of those things. But I mean, I've, 
Um, I'm a Lakers fan, which is, you know, that's like how you're a Lakers fan and a Giants fan, yeah. but I'm a Lakers fan and mm-hmm. have been since Magic. Mm-hmm. Um, that's right. Followed, followed him from college, um, and wherever he went, that's where I was going, and that's, right. that's what happened. Um, Kobe, I I mean, just, just when, when he tore his Achilles, yeah, and shot when, those free throws. Shot those free throws, and mm-hmm. and and he he wouldn't let him. Yeah, like I'm I'm gonna finish. Wow, I'm, I'm you know that's it. Like I know I I know this is over, mm-hmm. but I, I'm gonna finish because that was so important to him to to finish things to get it all out mm-hmm. to not say I I should have done more. I could have done more. I could have been prepared more, uh-huh. and that that kind of epitomized Kobe, right there. It was, it was like you you know it's it's something that somebody taught me about being a corner. Mm-hmm. Um, Emmett Thomas told me this thing. He said if you wanted this is when I was a very young Emmett player. Thomas, ooh, great corner. And, yes, and I, yep. yeah, yeah. And I I love how you know these guys. And Emmett oh, and Emmett Emmett told me he asked me after my first year. He said, "What do you think?" And I and I said, "Well, you know, I could have done some things." And he he just said, "Oh, you didn't work hard enough." And I said, "Well, no, I was working hard, but I wish I had." He said, "So you didn't work hard enough." And I said, Man, "I was working, I was working, but I, I just wanted to be." And he said, "So you didn't work hard enough." Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, yeah, let me finish. He said, no, you don't need to finish. He said, you're giving yourself excuses as to why things didn't happen. And he said, let me explain something to you. And this is this is Kobe. Mm-hmm. He said, you want to be good at this game. He said, you want to have a career and you want to reach the highest level that you're capable of reaching. Yeah. He said, you got to be a gunfighter. And I said, what do you mean? I, I was like, he said, he said, this is the thing. He said, anyone can pull the trigger. He said, but a gunfighter, he said, a true gunfighter, he said, even if you shoot me dead, he said, when we draw, even if you shoot me dead, no matter what, I have trained myself to the point that before I hit the ground, my shots will be fired. That's right. That's my right. shot will be fired, and you're going with me. And he said, that's the mentality you have to have if you want to be successful at this game. Uh, he said, you got to be a gunfire. He said, I'm not going to say that they won't shoot you. He I said, but I'd be damned if you ever hit the ground without firing your shot. Ooh. And that was cool. Ooh, yes, indeed. Wow. And, wow. Wow. That powerful right there. Powerful right there. And, and, and E.D., before I let you go, my friend, what are you working on right now? Let the audience know. Your Twitter handle, of course, is at underscore Eric Davis, E-R-I-C-D-A-V-I-S underscore. That's your Twitter handle. But what are you working on right now? Let let the audience know. What's up? Um, I am working with the group um, on a product, and, and we call it a product because now it's no longer a concept. It started as a conversation, and uh, you heard me mention earlier about – Sports being reality television, mm-hmm. it's entertainment, and it's the largest genre of entertainment. Right. And and when you are at, when you are in sports, when you are an athlete, you it's reality television. And the thing that you got to understand is that unlike the Kardashians, it's not scripted. Yeah, you right. can't turn it off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, so your life is always there. Yeah. And 
and but everyone the media has a part in it the social media has a part in it the yes. print media all of these things the reporters they all have a part in you as an athlete you have a part in it as well mm-hmm. um and you're generating revenue and yeah. i didn't know when i was an eighth grader um and they were writing stories about me that i had already started um generating revenue and that's what you don't realize when the the, the oh. moment the first article is written about you uh-huh. You have now started to generate your name, your likeness, your image is now generating revenue. Uh-huh. You'll never get all the pie. You'll never get all the pie. Yes, it, it is. Because now, why, why are they putting your picture? Why are they writing this story? Because it's getting clicks. It's selling papers. It's, wow. it's, it's, it's selling magazines. So you're generating revenue. Now, how do you get the most of that pie? Is, is this product that we are working with called Athlete Brand Guard. We've created a, an entire curriculum on uh, understanding that uh, that element that you are in a social, uh, that you are in a reality television st- show. You are a star, but you and the media are playing to the same audience, but you have to approach it differently mm-hmm. because the media makes money coming and going. You're good, they can only write one story about. You're bad, they can talk about it over and over, and every time someone else does bad. So it's a playbook on how to understand your place in there, how to understand the pie that you're generating, um, how to understand ways to keep as much of that pie as you possibly can, Mm -hmm. knowing that you'll never get all of it, how to positively interact in those aspects, uh, how to deal with the pressures and stresses of understanding that your life is not normal, mm-hmm. that the things that you do will be viewed differently, that um, all all your good and your bad will be heightened, um, that there are things that can happen, um, things that can be said that you will have to deal with that the normal person won't even have to deal with, and that that's just a part of it. So we have put that together. We're working with colleges. We're working with the CIF. This is something that we, that I would like, especially now that high school, uh, that college students will start getting paid. I think there needs to be a fiduciary responsibility with these schools to teach these people on how to maintain that pie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this is for this is for male, female athletes, and it's something that you you can view as. Um, as preventative, as sensitivity training, and understanding on how to deal with it. And we look at everything from um, not just being an athlete and things going well, but you know, we have forensic psychologists that come and sit down. We have, we have attorneys where we talk about understanding when things go wrong, how to work yourself through it. Um, we, we deal with the pressures of understanding that you may be you may be this young black female and and people don't understand the stress of maintaining that scholarship um because people think that you've made it once you get that scholarship um you know you know you're you're that field goal kicker for the university of alabama that missed that field goal Mm -hmm. you got to understand that you are not that person that everyone's on social media saying how horrible you are right now and dealing with that and that everyone doesn't have uh, necessarily have a support system to deal with. So how to do that. And we do it for, for coaches, for administrators, for players and, and all. Um, so that's what we're doing right now. And, and we're setting it up as a professional course, as 
a curriculum for colleges um, lecture series, but um, it's with an undefeated, undefeated, um, undefeated talent management is the name of the company, but the okay. product is actually um, athlete brand guard. That's the product that we are um, putting out. And I think it will actually help some, help some guys understand how to, um, how to navigate. It's, it's kind of what I say. You have to learn how to strategically navigate through the maze wow. uh, because your career will not be a straight line. Mm-hmm. Um, you will turn some, you will have to make some twists and turns. Some will be dead ends. So you think, but you will have to continue moving, but there's always a way to the other side of the maze. Mm-hmm. And that's what you yeah. have to do with your career. Wow. Learn to strategically navigate through that maze. That's that's deep, and they, they got to have that for musicians. You know, I would love to to get a, be a part of that on the musical side, <laughs> and, and, and you know for sure. But but I have to say, Mr. Eric Davis, honor to have you on. Where they at? The fifth episode, and and wow, I mean, you blessed all of us, myself and my listeners with with so much knowledge so much wisdom so much uh diversity and and you're the, you're a renaissance man for sure you're a renaissance man so and uh, i want to thank you and 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 we'll i want to definitely have you back sometime soon absolutely you know talk some more especially some more music <laughs> oh sounds good man sounds good You've heard the fifth episode of Where They At with Nabate Isles, and I want to thank Eric Davis for joining the program with his amazing insight. I want to thank Mr. Merton Hanks, my good friend, for providing that greeting for his running mate. And I want to also thank One of One Productions here in Fort Lee, Fela and Dennis, always providing a great atmosphere, and it feels like home being in here. And also I want to thank Nadia Ramdas and Matt McConaughey as well. My name is Nabate Owls, and I'll be back with another edition very soon. Thank you all. Have a wonderful day and rest in peace to Kobe Bryant, Gianna Bryant, his daughter, and the other victims as well um, of that horrific accident that happened uh, in Calabasas, California. Rest in peace to them. And once again, my name is Nabate Owls, and I'll see you all soon on Where They At. Thank you.